if you decide to listen, know that it's as hard, if not harder, than deciding to move from a life of a couch potato into a life of a person who goes to the gym every day and works on both flexibility, endurance, uh, strength, all of it. It's going to be hard. You're going to fail. It's going to hurt at times. If you commit yourself, you may find that your prison walls are moving away and away from you and you have much more freedom in your life, more productive, more loving, and more enjoyable, and more resilience for the trouble that life is destined to bring us. Hi, I am your host, Raquel Ark, and welcome to your Listening Superpower podcast. This show opens your mind on ways to transform challenging conversations into opportunities for clarity, connection, and ease at work and at home. Discover how to grow your listening superpower to help you become a more effective communicator. Be inspired by conversations with authors, scientists, and leaders that will help you grow your leadership toolbox with strategies that you can use right away. Let's work smarter and feel better with our listening superpower. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, my good friend and mentor, Dr. Avi Kluger, who is a renowned expert in the field of listening and who has also had a huge influence on my work. And his area of research focuses on the dangers of feedback and the benefits of listening in relationships and at work. Avi has published numerous studies on the topic of listening in leading publications more than I can count. And one of the publications that has had a huge influence on my understanding of listening in the work that I do has been a meta-analysis on the power of listening at work, which he also did with Guy Ichakov. And you've probably listened to some of the podcasts I've done with Guy. In this episode, we are going to start with the foundation. Avi wanted to share with you his insights on the definition of listening, which might surprise you. But there has been a lot of discussion in terms of what does listening mean. So he will share with you what the science is saying, what he is learning, and how he's developing a way to truly listen in a way that has enormous impact also in the business world. So whether you're looking to improve your communication skills, build better relationships, lead your team better or just to become a more effective listener, don't miss out on this episode. Join us as we delve into the fascinating world of listening with Dr. Avi Kluger. Good morning, Avi. It is a pleasure to have you on the Listening Superpower podcast. You have been a part of my listening journey. What I've learned from you has helped me to experience listening, teach listening, understand listening in ways that I hadn't before. And I know that we're still discovering a lot about listening. Today, I'd like to really explore what is listening? What is it that makes it so hard? What are the benefits of listening at work? Before we get started on some of those, I'd love to just tap in briefly to when did you experience power of listening for the first time or for a time, whether it worked or didn't work, that really became a driver to why you're here today. On June 15, 2004, 
a consultant in Israel presented to my group of PhD students in my laboratory, my office, the technique of appreciative inquiry. She asked us to interview each other with the following request. Could you please tell me a story about a moment at work during which you felt full of energy? And I worked with a student of mine. I told her, she told me, and I was transformed. I felt that I was hit with a positive shock to my system. The reason we're multiple, um, first, I realized that at the time that I was telling the story, it was already five years since I felt full of energy at work. I felt dead at work, just going through motions. Um, and second, I was also interested in hearing the story of my student about a teaching event that she had. But most important, it hit me over the head that all the psychology and all the statistics that I was taught and used up to that point were irrelevant because the, the jolt was co-created in a meeting in the space between two minds. And all my professional training and most of the Western thinking pattern are involved about the individual failing to recognize that maybe the most interesting secrets about life do not reside in people, but they reside in the type of connections that they form or fail to form. That's really important what you just said right now. So I'm just pausing for a moment. It's about what happens between us in this moment and the connection that's created. And not only the connection, but usually there's other things happening, insights, feelings, new ideas, who knows what. And sometimes it's hard to put words to what's happening in these moments of interactions. Indeed. I think that thinkers across generations were sensing in such experiences something that is divine, um, supernatural, or tapping into the common unconscious, or something that is not really visible, but people can sense it. No, some people know when they are in such a state. And I think that modern theories, the work of Jane Dutton and other will call it high quality connection, which it's a, an event in which two people are synchronized and it could be with really close people, but it could be with brief encounters between strangers like salesperson and a customer or two shoppers helping each other. Who knows? But whenever we experience those 
fleeting moments of high quality connection, something in us change for the better, grows. And a result of it, it's like a deposit in our mental well-being bank. Um, it's a saving for rainy days. Everyone such connections such happening is reminding us that we are connected, reduces our depression, anxieties, provide us with vigor for life, combined with sometimes new understanding of ourselves, the world, or both. And it could be something personal, it could be something technical. I'll just give examples. It could be that, like the conversation we had before this interview, you listened to me and made me connect to the love that I have to one of my children. This will stay with me after our conversation. And so it's something very internal that was co-created in the space that you and I co-created. So this is something personal, but it could be that also based on this interview, you go out with a feeling that you know something more about listening. And it's not something personal, it's something technical, theoretical. And it could be something as what I, I may listen to your political views and then you feel that you understand yourself better. Or I may listen to your exercise plans and you know better what is it exactly that you want to do. And if you were an engineer, maybe if I listen to you, you'll have a better idea how to solve some technical thing because I was in the space with you while you were airing your thoughts about, say, a technical innovation or a solution. So people come out from such encounters, both with a deposit to their well-being, that the emotional side, and second, with a new cognition, a new knowledge, a new understanding. This is why I always think, you know, the more we advance listening and not just this surface level listening, but the, the multi-layered listening, this, this layer, this type of listening that can, that's much bigger than we often think about, that it really does help us help people at work, work better and also feel better at the same time. The bo- both of those can work together, you know, often you hear so much out there where it's one sacrificing one for the other, but that's not the case. Not with the listening. It's like the way to get there and have both work together. With that in mind, Abby, people may have one idea of listening. There's lots of ideas of what, what listening is, but you've been researching listening now for some time. In fact, done a whole metadata analysis of all the listening research that is out there. So perhaps you can give us a, an understanding of what listening really is at the level that you're talking about. I presently am about to complete a paper with a researcher called uh, Moran Mizrahi. In this paper, we ask the question, can we get rid of the adjective? What do we mean? If you look at the consulting literature around listening and also in the academic one, 
people don't call it listening. People call it active listening, deep listening, empathic listening, courageous listening, always with an adjective. <laughs> Definitely. Um, which suggests that people recognize that the common use of the word listening fail to capture the unique type of listening that is needed to create the magic that we know that listening can create. And hence, we're looking for adjectives. So we were looking into some 20 different definitions of uh, adjective listening, say active listening, deep listening, uh, etc. And first we found out that people may define with the same adjective different definitions or different uh, and that underlying those definitions are two major uh, themes. One, do those definitions look at uh, covert behavior, things that cannot be seen? Or they, do they describe overt behaviors that can be observed and measured? So some will emphasize, like Carl Rogers in some, his writing, that saying that listening in the way that he means is like listening to the spheres, the music of the spheres. Mm, that's um, nice. Um, but some people would describe active listening with paraphrasing and validation. And some people will talk about the importance of silence, eye gazing, and Nonverbal immediacy, meaning like, do you lean forward and like really describing behaviors? The other dimensions that we found is where is the focus? Is the focus on the uh, listener or on the speaker? Some say, talk about, do you listen for all the facts? Do you notice the inaccuracy? Do you interpret what actually was said to you? So it's, it's focusing on what the listener does. And some others say, like Tichnat uh, Han was saying, just with the goal of letting the other know that they are not alone. Uh, so who is the focus on in this listening? And based on these two observations, uh, we suggest to define listening as devotion, to being with the other. And the reason that we emphasize devotion as something that is covert, you cannot see a devotion. It's not that a specific behavior. Is that we recognize that the appropriate listening behavior cannot be known without knowing what the speaker is going to say. Sometimes the speaker will need you to be silent. Sometimes they will need you to paraphrase. Sometimes they will need you to ask questions. And maybe sometimes they will even need you to challenge them. So uh, just this morning, I met a person that said, well, that she doesn't know to listen as well as I do. And I challenged her by saying, Perhaps by noticing it, you're already doing the work. Maybe you are learning. So I'm arguing with her on her behalf. 
so so that's that's one thing that it's the the devotion that we think is the essence and now i th- i think also that this will help communicate what listening is to your audience because people say yeah i know what listening is or people listen to me but now how often do you feel that you completely devote yourself or your partner or somebody who listens to you, do you feel that they're completely devoted? I think people said, oh, not, not that much. I wish they were. So now I think we have a better um, sense of what it requires. And then the issue is the being. It's not doing something for the other person. And it's being with the other not for the other, mm-hmm. because the other brings something and the other ch- chooses, we give the other the freedom to choose whatever to bring into being with us. But now we are not in the business of doing something for the other person. We are just in in the business of being together in a space that is co-created. In that sense, it's supporting the space in between two people, and it is beneficial for both people involved. Because both when you are in the listening position or in the speaking position, once you are in such a space, like the one we had before this conversation, both of us take something from being in such a space. So I repeat, it's a devotion to be with the other or for being with the other. And the other is the totality of the parts that the other presently is wishing to bring to the space. When, you know, I was just thinking about how often people say, oh, gosh, I um, I'm trying to listen, but I can't remember everything, and you know I can't remember all the details. It's hard work, but actually, what you're talking about is a choice. I see, I see a very intentional choice to say, "Hey, I'm here for this moment, even if it's two minutes, five minutes, half an hour. I'm here. Let's we're here in this together." And it's not about doing anything. It's about being fully present and letting the person know that I'm really here. And I don't know if interact in a way that moves, that helps hold the space, um, but not force the space, you know, not force things, but, but it's still moving things in a certain direction or a certain space that's needed. But it shifts from the I to the we. I don't know. That seems a little bit theoretical. But what am I saying, Abby? How would you describe it? I think that you're, it's, you're describing it very well. It's like being in the space. And you were giving the example of the person said, well, I cannot remember. So the, the person that say I cannot remember has idea in their mind that listening is reflecting. And they must memorize everything. Yeah, and uh, they're not available to be in the space at that time because they're too busy thinking about what, what they have to remember or focus on the word. Yeah, if you decide to devote 
yourself. And as you said, it's a decision and it's a continuous decision because this devotion could be for two minutes. It may disappear. You may bring it back. The devotion could be created by the listener, but it could also be created by the speaker. Say, if I share with you very powerful material, I will make you devoted. I'm just angry and rambling. It may ask for a lot of effort on your side to be devoted, and you may lose it and you bring it back. Uh, but it's the moment that there is a devotion, there is a listening. Now, if you're busy, I cannot remember, you cannot be devoted because you're busy with something else. Yeah, And right. to be devoted, you have to trust your intuition and things. You will know what to do. The space will tell you what is required from you to contribute. Mm -hmm. And it will force you also to listen to yourself while you're listening so you will know what to say. And it's a scary thought that uh, we are losing, we are really losing control willing to let the control go and to become curious about what may rise from the interaction, what mystery will be revealed through an interaction. And that's where the magic is. And can I just tell you a little, a little history? When I, so I had known about, I learned active listening and some of these, these more technical type of listening pieces. And once I realized, oh, wow, this listening creates magic and people don't realize listening is what's creating this magic. And so I wanted to, to start shining the light on listening, but I had, I struggled for a long time because I'm like deep listening, active listening. It like was so restrictive. I, this adjective thing that you're talking about, I was, I struggled with that. And it wasn't until I woke up in the middle of the night at three in the morning with this word listening alchemy, not knowing anything about alchemy, but just this idea that I could explore. There was no restrictions. You could learn. It was science. It was intuitive. It was all kind of mixed together and it didn't matter. But what I wanted was to get to the gold, which is another word for the magic. And that right. opened up, that opened up a, a space where I could move. And that's what got me started. And I met you about the same time. So... <laughs> Anyway, so this really excites me when you're talking about this because this shows how it all kind of connects, right? And yet, listening is so hard, Avi. It's difficult. Why? <laughs> I think it just described it because you have to completely let go. You don't know what's going to happen. That's the hard part. And uh, you may be exposed to things that will change you. Oh, well, definitely. If you go into this space, you don't come out of it the same way you went in. No, you don't. Every time you go into this space of connection, with true connection with another human being, you're being transformed. And I think what's hard is our defense mechanism, which we have a worldview that serves more or less okay. Because I'm saying more or less okay because we are alive. So we know it's 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 functioning. It's not may not be satisfactory, but it's functioning. <laughs> <laughs> we may be frustrated and not happy trying to figure things out, but hey, we keep you it's what we know. <laughs> yes. And um, um for going into this space, we have to let go of whatever we know. And so to it's a risky, it's a risky action. 
And we, the more we feel loved, the more we can allow ourselves to go into these spaces. And it's the, the feeling of protection from the inside. And many of us, unfortunately, do not have this at all. Many people are so lonely. Many people are so entrenched in their own political camp they cannot see the humanity of people from the other side, let alone listen to them. And we are sticking to what we know and to the worldview that we have. This prison serves us well. But the question is, is it well enough? And if we feel that there may be some pastures worth checking out outside of our own prison walls, then we need to try to listen a little bit and to be listened by others. I think it's a very slow process to learn this, that small events of high-quality connection. And those of you who listen to you and your podcast and don't know how to do it, I just can tell them, go to a workshop with Raquel so you can experience it in the workshop with other participants. And then you may be able to give it to other people. And then other people may be able to give you some more of that. And that's how it can slowly grow, release you slowly from your own prison. Nice. You know, that's one thing I, when these moments of connections in very simple and light and playful ways, when people get in there, like even like sharing their stories in just a couple minutes a piece, it's amazing the, how quick actually connection can happen and how quick people are surprised at the common ground or how they're changed. And it's okay. <laughs> it actually feels good, you know? So that helps me to come to your other question in the beginning. This is what I found in the meta-analysis that Listening appears to create, first and foremost, good connections, good relationship, trust, relationship satisfaction, say, with the supervisor. It seems like the data will be consistent with the following argument, that once good relationships are created, more knowledge transfer in the organization, more positive attitudes are being formed, like job satisfaction, motivation. Enhance, and we see evidence, better performance, including on objective measures of performance, but not only objective measures, willingness to help others, which is a component of job performance called organizational behavior citizenship, will go up. Uh, uh, Turnover intentions may go down, turnover and variety of uh, the great resignation problems may di- dissipate if there is listening going around. And maybe not less important is people may become more creative when they feel the safety of connection and they come with better ideas how to solve organizational issues. So while listening may take away time from work, it actually saves in the long term a lot of time and creating better outcomes. Yeah. You know, let me just share a little story. I was working with 
a client, a coaching client, and they were they started finding ways to listen to their stakeholders and understanding what the stakeholders needed to understand in order to move project forward. So they took extra time ahead of time. Once they went into the, the conversation with the stakeholder, it was a lot smoother and they figured things out a lot quicker. And then, you know, they usually check in some months, some weeks later for alignment. He's, it was easy. There was no, he didn't have any challenges. And he's like, it went smooth. I had no challenges. <laughs> I didn't have any challenges and things are going well. And we saved this much time. We'll see if it saves time in the long run. You know, he's still checking things out. But there was this fear that came up that if I am not challenged, something is going wrong or I'm not going to grow. Like there's this fear. What if I'm not challenged? And um, so I just say this, I tell this story to people who are listening because it could be that it changes the dynamics and your interactions in compared to what you're used to. And if you have these fears come up, instead of putting yourself back into this prison you're talking about, maybe being challenged is a good thing, but perhaps there's other ways to be challenged in different contexts and other situations, but not through misunderstanding and not listening to each other. There's other ways. <laughs> Practice challenging through listening. <laughs> I think we all need the balance in challenge and not challenge. If there's no challenge, we are bored. Uh, there's too much for, uh, challenge, we are stressed out. Yes. And I would recommend to your uh, manager, if you feel that things are going too smoothly, Go to the stakeholders and ask them, okay, it seems to work fine, but how can we improve? How can we make it even better? They will give you the challenges. (laughs) Abby, this conversation has been really great. Before we we finish our conversation today, and I hope that we have more in the future, um, is there one last message or one last thing you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yes. If you decide to listen, no that it's as hard, if not harder, than deciding to move from a life of a couch potato into a life of a person who goes to the gym every day and works on both flexibility, endurance, uh, strength, all of it. It's going to be hard. You're going to fail. It's going to hurt at times. If you commit yourself, you may find that your prison walls are moving away and away from you and you have much more freedom in your life, more productive, more loving, and more enjoyable, and more resilience for the trouble that life is destined to bring us. Thank you, Abby. And we'll add your contact details to the notes. It's wonderful to have this conversation with you. And thank you for helping clarify what listening is and its magnitude. Thank you, Raquel. Thank you very much for having me. I'm your host, Raquel Ark, and you have just enjoyed your listening superpower podcast. This is an independent show. So please show your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review and sharing with your friends. I love to hear from my listeners, what you love, what questions you have, any great guests that you have for the podcast email me at listeningsuperpower at gmail.com or send a voicemail at plus four nine one seven three two three four zero seven two two. 
Check out listeningalchemy.com if you want to help your team communicate more effectively together. We focus on evidence-based listening strategies, and we do it in a playful and experiential way so that your team can work better and feel better together. Thank you, Cecilia Mercado, for your amazing podcast production, Ivo Tiemann for your inspiring music, and Dorte Streicher for your impactful artwork. It's been fun, and see you on the next episode.